Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Sided Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Jacob Meisner. Fortunately, Adam cannot be here this week. We've been having some technical issues. Don't worry, he's okay. They just got hit by a big storm, and the internet is out of whack. So hopefully his internet is better next week. But in the meantime, welcome back, Jake Meisner. It is season preview time. Opening day is finally here. We made it. It is almost August, but we are going to start a baseball season. MLB at the end of July. I, I, I don't care. It could be December at this point. I am so ready for games that count. These exhibitions have been great. You kind of, you know, get a little, a little fix of what we're all desperately longing for. But you know, there, there's nothing like games that count. This year, obviously, it's unprecedented, empty crowds, fake crowd noise, 60-game sprint. Uh, it's going to be wild, but I 100% took the next two days off of work to just indulge myself and fill the, fill the void that I've needed for the last several months. Hey, that's a good call. I mean, I was thinking about doing that. Because I did take the original opening day off, but obviously that did not happen. So it's going to be happening now. And again, things are going to be very weird. We got a nice taste of what baseball is going to look like in these exhibition games. With the no crowds, with the fake noise, with the dugouts expanded universal dh all that good stuff it's definitely weird it is definitely very very weird but jake i don't know if you agree with me on this but this is this is how i feel i thought that wrigley field despite being empty looked really really good during these exhibition games like with the sun going down it just everything looked so peaceful and nice. I, I don't know if that's just how I feel, but I thought Wrigley Field looked really nice empty while they played. Yeah, no, I mean, I actually finally bit the bullet and uh, added Hulu TV so I could watch Marquee. I haven't been able to watch this whole, whole time. Um, finally, you know, swallowed my pride and, and made it happen and so tonight was the first game I've, I've watched on Marquee and watched the Cubs and Sox the first game. Um, and like said, just, I don't know, maybe we're biased. Maybe it's just because it's Wrigley Field and, and to Cubs fans like us, it's the best place on earth. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I definitely was noticing little things, you know, dumb things like, you know, where the edge of the dirt of the mound meets the grass, like how good that looked or... You know how clean all the lines were, and yeah. like I said, I, I I know it's 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 probably a little strange, but you know what? At this point, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I hear you. It was very easy to notice how clean everything looked. There haven't been any fans in there the whole year, and obviously, it's easier to take care of the facility when there's not forty thousand people in the stands near the field. They're not having all the guests walk along the field. So there's less foot traffic on it. So yeah, things are obviously going to look a little cleaner. It's also very interesting to see the way the dugouts are, the way they've expanded them into the stands and they have those tents. And then you see people wearing masks in the dugout. It's something that you'd never thought you'd see in real life, but here we are seeing it. 
Now, to talk about the exhibition games themselves, we know that during those White Sox games, there was a lot of reaction just because of where the White Sox are projected to be and what happened in those games. We saw Eloy Jimenez, the former Cubs farmhand, crush one off you, Darvish. We saw the Sox have a big inning in the first game off Jarrell Cotton. You saw Luis Robert, who might be the next big upcoming thing. But at the end of the day, they are exhibition games. They don't count. I think the biggest takeaways I got from those games from a Cubs perspective is some of those bullpen arms that the Cubs look to be hoping to have, some of them have looked pretty good. Jarrell Cotton, I'm not sure he's going to make the roster. He got rocked. And with you, Darvish, he was really poor in that first inning, but the rest of the way, he looked much, much better. So eh, I, I take a lot of it with a grain of salt, but, you know, it was at least at least good to point out some of the few good things that happened in that game. I don't know. What were your biggest takeaways from those? Uh, uh, one, I am 100% okay with White Sox fans talking all the trash. That. They deserve Are you? I am. I think back to how how we as Cubs fans were once we started turning the corner in 2015. Like we signed John Lester, Joe Madden came to town. You know, that's that's when Arietta did his thing. Like we hadn't done anything uh, up until the postseason, obviously, but we hadn't accomplished anything. We had no right to beat our chest, and but we had gone through the rebuild, the same thing the Sox have gone through. We yep. were, we knew our big guy, we knew Chris Bryant was coming up. You know, we, we knew what that meant. And that's in the same way that now they have, you know, Luis Robert up and Eloy's up and they've got Madrigal in the system and, and Andrew Vaughn. And I mean, it just name after name after they name. They signed Yasmani Grandal. Yeah, brought Grandal in, brought Abreu back. They have Moncada and Anderson. Like there's not a weak spot on that team. If, if we're just being honest, they're I mean, the, yeah, they're stacked offensively. They're loaded. So first and foremost, White Sox fans, go for it. Go all out. You know, especially in a year like this that's been filled with so much negativity, go for it. Sure. 100% fine with that. Back to the Cubs, uh, Jarrell Cotton, that was, I mean, I hope he enjoyed his shot at potentially making the team because that's um, Darvish for me is a huge X factor. If the if Darvish isn't right, the Cubs are a sub five hundred team to me. Yeah. The Cubs have to have that one two punch of Hendricks and Darvish, and Hendricks looked phenomenal. Yeah, that was the best I've ever seen his curveball. And you pair that with his with his sinker, with his his changeup. I mean, that's that's huge. But you know, again, I it's. Not so much a knock against the Cubs. I just think the White Sox are ready to take it to anybody right now. And, you know, we'll see how it plays. I mean, it's it's a little different because it's only 60 games. But I think they're going to be good. I think they have a yeah. very real shot at winning that division. Yeah, I, I picked them to win the division, actually. You know, I wrote about the standings and my predictions. I picked the Sox to win the division. And I think you're on to something. And, you know, I... I did say something very similar to what you said on Twitter about, you know, I remember being a Cubs fan in 2015. I remember all the excitement. The Sox haven't made the postseason since 2008. So, yeah, they have every right to be excited here. I definitely agree. And you mentioned the Hendricks curveball. And the one that he threw to Luis Robert, 
on 0-2 was one of the nastiest curveballs I think he's ever thrown. If you go back and look at, like, the gif of that and the way they slow it down, it's like, holy crap, the thing was a thing of beauty. You know, the spin rate on that it was probably unbelievable. Oh, man, it was that was a thing of beauty. But, yeah, I think that what I can at least say about Darvish that one night is that he did rebound after that bad first inning. I hope that's the case. I hope he's going to be okay. You know, there's been a lot of good signs with him. That first inning did not look good, but, you know. I mean, I I, I think people took it the way they did because that margin for error doesn't exist this year. You can't go out and have an inning like that. I mean, you just can't, especially in the National League Central, which by any projection I've looked at is only going to come, it's going to come down to a handful of games. So, you know, if one of your co-aces goes out and lays an egg in the first you know that could decide your season and i know that sounds probably over dramatic but it's really not it's really really could come down to it we've how many times have we seen the national league central come down to the final week over the last few years and that's over 162 games so it's very reasonable to assume that it could come down to a game or two here or there, and that could decide whether the Cubs miss the postseason for the second straight year or whether they get back. Last year, it came down to the final week. I think the Cardinals won the division on like the last day or second to last day of the season. Uh, the year before that, it obviously came down to 163. The year before that, the Cubs clinched with about a week to go, but they were pretty secure there. <laughs> It didn't come down to the final week in 2016. The Cubs won by 17 it, it, games. That was that was nice. That was that was nice. That was like the high point of being a Cubs fan. I, I mean, most of us have. I, I don't know if most no no fans our age know what it's like to win a division on that that handily. Um, I actually really liked 2018 and how it came down to 163. I went to every game in the St. Louis series and went to the game 163, um, oh. and went to the wild card. So I was oh. there for. For all of it, and even though it didn't, it didn't turn out the way we had all hoped. It was still, I mean, just it's hard knuckle scraping baseball for what five straight days, basically. You know, you live and die with every pitch, every every ball down the line. Is it fair? Is it foul? Is it going to be a run for again? You know, it just you're caught up in every pitch, and it, it was really exciting. It was a cool experience. You know. That game 163, I didn't actually watch it. I was at work that day, but I followed it. And I really haven't watched the highlights because there's really no good highlights for me to watch. But, boy, if I remember correctly, that was the closest we saw to, like, a reverse Wrigleyville North. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah, so I actually, um, I know myself. uh, I know myself in that situation. We got rooftop tickets. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, bottomless beer game one sixty three. You gotta gotta go with the budget friendly move. But it was really concerning because we were right down the left field line. Uh-huh. So we had a great view, and that corner of the grandstand was, I would say, eighty percent Brewers fans. Wow! And I had never experienced that before because you know, like you said, it's Wrigley North. Like we go to Miller Park and you know, wreak havoc up there, but it doesn't, the traffic only goes one way. And, uh, but yeah, that day it was, it was definitely, I would say it was probably a 50, 50 split across the whole ballpark. Wow. Yeah. I, I knew it was a lot, but yeah, I, 
you never thought you'd see that day. Now, I have been to a few Cubs games where the visiting fans have equaled or maybe surpassed. Um, it was 2017. We were playing the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, you look around the stands and all you see is blue, so you wouldn't really know. But when the Blue Jays scored a run, boy, was it loud in there. That was crazy, but you kind of expected that. The Blue Jays don't come to Wrigley Field often. The Blue Jays are Canada's team, so they got a big fan base. You expect that kind of thing. And, you know, I remember a few years back when the Detroit Tigers would come to Wrigley Field and absolutely take over. But boy, it's it was it was just weird seeing that happen with the Brewer fans at Wrigley because you're used to being on the other side of that every time. Well, and it, and it wasn't a, a middle, you know, a middle of the summer weekday game where a team that doesn't normally play uh, comes to town. Like it wasn't one of those setups. It was all, it was for all the marbles. It was for a division right. crown. Um, right. And I was actually at the, I think it was the finale of that Toronto series where the Cubs pulled off that ridiculous walk-off to close uh-huh. out the series. Yep. And my brother-in-law was supposed to come up from Nashville and couldn't make it. And we were texting throughout the game and I went with my wife and my mother-in-law instead. And my both, both of them are, oh God, can we leave? I was like, no, we don't leave games early. You never know what's going to happen. They're going to do it. I just have this feeling like since, since Grayson, my brother-in-law couldn't come up. I was like, they're going to do something wild. And I'm going to rub his face in it for the rest of his life. <laughs> sure enough. Sure enough. One of the coolest ends to a game that I've been to in person. Well, I, I was at game one of that series and that was, I mean, I, it was a sweep, obviously. But that was controversial because that was when Miguel Montero came back and there were a lot of spattered boos. Uh, do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, being there, I can tell you this much about that. Uh, story time here, folks. Sorry, I'm going to tell a quick story. Everyone is associating those boos towards Miguel Montero. Some of them might have been. And that's silly. He drove in the winning run for the World Series anyway. I can tell you that a lot of those boos were the Cub fans booing the Toronto Blue Jays fans who were chanting, let's go Blue Jays, very loudly, trying to drown them out. Because when Miguel Montero came to the plate, they had just scored a run. The Blue Jays had just scored a run. And the Blue Jays fans were cheering and chanting, let's go Blue Jays. And we were starting to boo to drown them out. In fact, it was so loud with the Blue Jays fans there. I didn't even realize Miguel Montero was coming up because I couldn't hear which name was being read over the loudspeaker. And it may sound very different on TV if you look at the clip, but if you were actually there, you would have experienced something much different. So I just had to tell that story. Definitely. It's, it's, it, there's always, it's kind of like in a movie that that fourth wall, like being there in person, you definitely notice things that you, you don't, you watch more closely, you notice things differently. So yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so kind of going back to where we are right now, while we're recording this, we are playing the last exhibition game against the twins. Big story tonight, Anthony Rizzo's back. His first two at-bats, he hit a two-run home run, and he hit a single. That's a nice sign. I think that's probably one of the biggest takeaways from these exhibitions is seeing your players healthy that were kind of on the fringe. We have some back tightness with Chris Bryant, 
but it sounds much more precautionary, so I'm not going to worry about that just yet. Third, Wilson Contreras is murdering the ball, man. Oh, Two home man. runs I, tonight. I, my buddy and I have a bet. He's picking Schwarber for the Cubs MVP, and I told him that as much as I love Kyle, this is Wilson's year. He is just locked in on like we've ever seen him before. I mean, he's had stretches, and what I, I think he's going to benefit tremendously from a shortened season because there's not going to be that that grind on his body that we've seen. You know, late in the summer, he breaks down with leg injuries because he's catching so much. Uh-huh. Now it's just a sprint. You have two months to get through it, and I think it's going to help keep him fresh. And, and again, with the DH, when he needs a day off, you can DH him and keep his bat, which is just white hot in the lineup, even on days when he's not behind the plate, and then go with Caratini uh, or Begley or whoever behind the dish. But it's going to be huge for him, especially offensively. Yep, I'm right there with you, man. I think he's got an opportunity to do great things. I think this is the perfect opportunity for him to just play 100%. Like you said, it's kind of a sprint at this point where – he can just go with a burst of speed and that burst of speed can carry you the two months this season. Um, I also really like so far what I'm seeing from, excuse me. I really like what I've seen from some of those bullpen pieces. Uh, Unfortunately, Dylan Maples had another shaky outing and I'm not so sure about that whole thing right there, but you know, Jeremy Jeffress, I think he's a big important part. Kimbrell didn't look terrible. He didn't look great either, but he was able to get out of some trouble the other night. Um, But you have some other arms in that pen. Uh, Rowan Wick looks good again. I think that's a big plus. There are some people wondering if Craig Kimbrell doesn't do so well, would Rowan Wick be the next guy to put in that position? And hopefully it doesn't come to that for the sake of Kimbrell because he is our closer. But, you know, it's, it would be nice knowing that he'd be a reliable option right there. Yeah, I mean, Wick looked good. I think what we're going to see with Kimbrell is, I mean, we just have to accept he is not the guy that we saw in Atlanta or or even in Boston. He's not. He's not going to blow guys away at triple digits anymore. That being said, I, I have a reasonable degree of faith in him to adapt the same way that a guy like a John Lester has adapted. John Lester doesn't throw 97 miles an hour anymore. I don't That's not to take anything away from him. It's just, that's not who he is as a pitcher anymore. That doesn't mean he can't be successful, but I think that's why you saw Kimbrough really focusing on developing his changeup further because without that velocity, if you can come at those hitters with two secondaries, that are both impactful as opposed to them just sit on a curveball, your your odds are a little better. So I think we're going to see a different version of Craig Kimbrell in 2020. We'll see if it's effective. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, it almost has to be. I mean, I love Rowan Wick, but I, like we talked about last time, I'm not ready to hand him the ninth inning. For me, it would be Jeffress over, over Wick. But then you're pulling – you know, uh, a key bridge guy in Jeffress out of that role. So then you've got to backfill it. And I don't have a tremendous amount of faith in this crop of arms. I'm not saying that David Ross won't piece something together, but it's not like you know who's getting the ball in the sixth, who's getting the ball in the seventh, who's getting the ball in the eighth, and then Kimbrell in the ninth. That's out the window. So the bullpen really makes me nervous. 
Yeah, I don't think you're the only one, dude. I don't think, I mean, it makes me nervous too. Uh, because even if you have a few good pieces in a season like this, you're going to need more than like one or two good guys. You're going to want three or four guys you can rely on. I think that one of the biggest concerns is that there just isn't enough of those guys. I mean, who can you really point to that you trust the most? If you ask the average Cubs fan, you'd probably say Rowan Wick. And Rowan Wick doesn't even have that much experience. So, I mean, what does that tell you? Yeah, I mean, it's rolling. you're rolling the dice. I mean, Rowan Wick's a great guy and, and pitched really well for us last year. But again, like we talked about, I'm, I'm one of those people that I, I don't want to hear, you know, I don't want a, a small sample size. I need somebody who does it year in and year out. Uh, Ryan Tapera looked good the other day. He's an option. Yes, he we've did. Got we've got Kyle Ryan coming back from, he was an unexpected, pleasant surprise last year. Um, so hopefully he can do that again. I, Brad I think Wick. they'll figure, Brad Wick. I, I think they have the pieces. It's just, when you're normally in this situation where nobody really has defined roles and you're trying to figure it out, you can kind of stumble through April usually by basically learning from your mistakes. And then by the time you head into May, you've got it figured out. You know who does what and who succeeds in what roles. And there's none of that this year. You have to succeed from opening night on. And mm -hmm. That's what makes me nervous. It's not that the Cubs haven't been in this situation before, because I feel like they've been in this situation quite a bit with their bullpen, but there, there's no learning curve this year. You have to be on from the word go. Yeah, I agree. Let's shift a little bit to the rotation. Now, the rotation has been set. We got Kyle Hendricks opening day, you Darvish game two, then Tyler Chatwood is going to pitch game three, of the Milwaukee Brewers series, so that way Lester can pitch game one of the Red series, and I think that makes sense. And then Alec Mills was named the fifth starter. Jose Quintana is currently throwing again, so there's some good news there. He's trying to get back into things, but that's still going to take a little time to get back in there. So for the time being, Alec Mills is the fifth starter. I think there's really not a lot of surprise here. I'm sure a lot of people, including myself, before the news thought, oh, Lester is obviously number three, but they're going with Chatwood. And I think that's more of a matchup thing than anything. But I thought Alec Mills was the guy to get that fifth spot. I'm not surprised. How are you feeling about the rotation? Because I see ups and downs. I, I trust Kyle Hendricks. You Darvish, I think, has a lot of potential uh, just bouncing back completely after what we saw in the second half last year. But I can't lie, still makes me nervous a little bit. And then Lester, he's not the same guy he once was. Chatwood, uh, and Mills I like, but we haven't seen a whole lot of him. So I'm kind of wishy-washy on the rotation, knowing that it can be solid, but I'm not expecting the world. No, I mean, like I said, tonight was the first game I watched on Marquee, and Lester looked good. He yes, looked he like a guy ready to go out and say, oh, you think I'm a four now? Let me show you something. And I think that is a situation where John Lester could be tremendously effective. If people think like, oh, he's, you know, he's just riding out the last year of his deal, the Cubs don't expect much of him, he's somebody who can feed off that type of expectation. Because there are people who say, like, 
and I, I, you know, it's not incorrect that he's not an ace anymore. He's not an ace anymore, but if the Cubs had a must-win game, I would have trouble not giving him the ball. Yeah, and, I mean, even look at the wild card game you had a few years ago. He pitched pretty exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he, he did. He did his job. And, you know, uh, Chatwood scares the living daylights out of me. Mm-hmm. I like him more as a late inning guy. Me I loved too. watching him just go and let loose. And, I agree. You know, 100 miles an hour and then drop off a breaking ball with elite spin. Like, it was so fun to watch. To me, he's your setup, man. I mean, yeah. and if Craig Kimbrell was, I would give Chadwood a chance at the ninth. Like, just get three outs, okay? Just unload, leave it all on the field, three outs. It's all you need to do. You know, I think he could be successful in that type of role. But with Quintana out, honestly, he's going to miss half the season. You know, by the time he ramps up and gets healthy, they said it's not going to be a, like a quick thing to work no, back from. So, I mean, what would have been a fifth of a, or a sixth of a season before is now half the, half the regular season. So, I mean, what we have is what we have. I'm not betting on Jose Quintana. It, I think it's going to be, you know, when he comes back, it's going to be the, the trade deadline, the, you know, the mid-season point before we see him back. So, it is what it is. And I am as concerned as you are, which is why, like I said, Hendricks and Darvish have to be on. They have to be on. And if they're not, it's going to be a long two months. It'll be the longest, shortest season ever. <laughs> well put. Well put. So, okay, we have our doubts, but we also say there's room to see the best out of this it, it could be it could be fine it could be john lester goes in with a chip on his shoulder and says you might think i got nothing left in the tank but i'm going to show you how it's done you darvish could be second half 2019 you darvish kyle Hendricks could do what he always does tyler catwood could build off last year alec mills could build off last. i mean it could it could very easily you know blow that way and i've i'd be the happiest person ever to you know have to eat crow on my doubts but it could just as easily flip the other way where Darvish can't throw strikes. Lester's leaving meatballs out over the middle of the plate. Chatwood's all over the place. You know, it, it could go that way. We don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, regardless, this is our team. I'm ready to ride with them and I'm going to hope for the best. Well, I mean, what we've just been talking about sums up what the people on Twitter are saying. I took a short poll this afternoon, and I didn't have a whole lot of time to get a bunch of votes. I only ran it for a few hours. So this is 60 votes. And I asked just simply, how are you feeling about this year? And here are the answers. 33% said good. 13% said bad. 48%, by far the majority, said they're unsure. And then 6% said that they're just kind of tuning out this year. Um, But I'm with the 48% unsure. I thought there'd be more people saying bad, especially after those two exhibition games against the White Sox. But I think a lot of those bad feelings kind of go into the unsure category because I think everybody knows how talented the actual core of this team is. There's just so many questions surrounding that core. If Anthony Rizzo's healthy, I have no doubts in him. 
I don't have doubts in Chris Bryant. I don't have doubts in Javi Baez. I don't have doubts in Kyle Schwarber. I don't have doubts in Wilson Contreras. I don't have doubts in Kyle Hendricks. But you look everywhere else. Is Ian Happ going to take that next step? Is Albert Almora going to at least be serviceable? Is Victor Caratini going to build off what he did last year? Who are the depth guys going to be? We have these fringe guys on the roster. Is Ian Miller going to be the fast, speedy guy they're going to bring in late? Are we going to have to deal with Daniel Descalso on the roster or not? Is Hernan Perez going to be on the roster? I mean, none of those guys offensively are world beaters. You have Hernan Perez, who can be a good defender. Josh Fegley's a veteran catcher, but he's not really a good hitter. And I don't think they're going to carry three catchers if they don't have to. And uh, no disrespect to Daniel Descalso, but I just think the guy is washed. He had some solid years when he was surprisingly solid years. You look at his overall numbers and you say, man, but you actually look at what he did in Arizona and Colorado. He didn't do half bad for being a bench utility guy, but I think that ankle injury last year just completely derailed him. And I just don't think there's anything left in the tank there. And you got to ask too, is, is Jason Kipnis going to be anything? Is Nico Horner going to take more of that time as time goes on? There's so many questions. I guess here's what I'm going to ask you, Jake. If you had to come up with the three biggest questions about this season, what would they be? I know that's a tall task, but what would they be? Oh, oh boy. Okay. Number one is center field. Can Ian Happ and or Albert Elmora do what we need them to do for the Cubs to be successful? Because I think people don't understand how critical they are to the team's success. Um, when they're both doing their thing, the lineup gets so much deeper, and it, it's a huge, huge asset. Number two, will David Ross deploy Jason Hayward correctly? Jason Hayward should not face left-handed pitchers, period. I agree. Joe Madden couldn't get that through his head. I love Joe. We have we all owe him an eternal debt, but he could not get that through his head in any of the years he spent here. Jason Hayward is an he's a well above average defender. We all know that, but he cannot be in the lineup if there is a lefty on the mound. It's that simple to me. You can bring him back in as a late inning defensive guy, totally. That makes sense. Game's close. You don't want, you know, an outfield of Kyle Schwarber and, you know, Ian Happ and Steven Souza. Like, I mean, no, no disrespect to those guys, but, you know, they're not no, Jason no, you Hayward. Don't. No, you don't. So that's a, it's something that people probably aren't really thinking about. It might not seem like a big question, but again, smaller margin for error. Letting Hayward hit against Southpaws is an issue to me. And lastly is going to be, which you Darvish are we going to get? Are we going to get second half you Darvish? I went to one of his last starts and I, like I said, you know, a while back when I was on the show and we were talking about Kerry Wood through the first three innings, I legitimately thought that I might see the 20 strikeout mark in, in real danger because Darvish was just dealing on that, on that high of a level. Mm -hmm. But in the first half, you know, it was just, Oh God, it was just anxiety inducing. Every time he took the ball, you had no idea what, what it was, was exhausting. And, and, you know, I, I, I kept, I really 
really with the with the circle of Cubs fans that I speak to the most, they were all after after the eight starts in his first year and then on the shelf, they were all done. They called him the biggest bust in Cubs. I was like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not buying that. He's not the biggest bust in Cubs history. It, it, he's just not. So I want to see what what he is. I mean, I don't know if I can realistically expect him to duplicate what he did in the second half last year because that was just insanity in terms of his strikeout to walk numbers. But can he be the guy he's been his whole career? And if he is, the Cubs are in a good spot. If he's not, the Cubs are in trouble, and I would expect a lot of selling at the deadline. Yeah, I think those are all very valid points. I can't argue with a single one of those. I look at this team and I wonder, how are they going to position themselves in the outfield in certain scenarios? When is Kyle Schwarber going to play DH? When is Steven Souza going to play DH? When could Anthony Rizzo play DH? A lot of that's going to depend on who's going to be in the outfield, who's going to be playing out there. And, you know, Ian Happ, I think he, between Albert Elmore and Ian Happ, I think Ian Happ has much more bright side because he's got that power element and he can walk. Albert Elmore doesn't walk, but. No, 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 he he does. No, he does not. (laughs) He does not walk. But the one thing that Albert Elmore can do is make contact. He doesn't strike out a lot. Now, a lot of the contact isn't good contact where Ian Happ, he can when he does make contact, it's a lot harder usually, but he also has a lot of holes in the swing. But I just think with the way baseball is and the way that Ian Happ can pound the ball and hit for power, I think there's more value in that. I, I just feel like Albert Almora, unless he really steps up big time, this is just gonna kind of be where he officially fades away. I I like the guy as a person, and maybe he goes somewhere else one day and he finds it, but I feel like the Albert Almora saga is going to kind of lie on this season, even if it's a very short one. Yeah, I mean, you can only, I mean, it was a first round pick in what, 2012? It was Theo's so first like, pick. Theo's first, like, the, that ship has sailed. Like, especially when you see guys like Nico Horner come in a year after being drafted and play at the major league level, you know. It, you gotta, you gotta figure it out. You gotta, especially with with where the Cubs are at. I mean, they're gonna if they are not in contention at the deadline, they are going to sell everything that's not bolted to the floor. And even if Elmora does play well, the Cubs might trade him because of that. I mean, they might say, "Look, we're not in it. We're gonna roll with Ian Happ. He's a switch hitter. He can play multiple positions." You know, Albert, you just don't get on base enough. We love you. Thank you. And, and send him somewhere. So I I don't know if, good or bad, if, if Elmora will be with the Cubs past the trade deadline. Yeah, I don't know either. I will always thank him for that great tag up in game seven and extra innings. but Or that ridiculous catch in the division series in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, I remember that too in right field. That was... That was pretty awesome. I got to give him that. You know, Albert Elmore has had his moments with the Cubs. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, the way things have been trending, it just hasn't been great for a guy that doesn't walk a whole lot. So it kind of makes you nervous a little bit. But I would say Ian Happ is the guy with the higher ceiling right now. I think most people would agree. And talking about higher ceilings, you look over at second base, and the way I see it is I think – 
the primary second baseman when it all starts is going to be Jason Kipnis. But if Nico Horner continues to show more growth and Kipnis isn't doing much, that's going to change as the season goes along. And I wouldn't be surprised if by season's end, it's mainly just Nico Horner playing there. Yeah, I mean, you got to, in my mind, you got to give Kip the shot. And I, I like Nico coming off the bench. So, I, like you said, we, we'll figure it out as, as we go. What I like, though, is that Nico's going to get big league reps. In my mind, I'm fine with him working through his development in the 60 game season because he's going to get way more out of that than he would at South Bend or down in Arizona. Yeah, I agree. I think it's pretty safe to say that the outfield and most of the infield is pretty set on who's going to make the team. Like I said, there are a few fringe guys like Josh Fegley or Hernan Perez. I don't really know if they're going to carry three catchers. My one theory about Josh Fegley was if Rizzo wasn't ready for opening day, I feel like he would make the roster because you would need Caratini to play first. But if Anthony Rizzo is good to go, I just don't know. I mean, you could be listening to this podcast tomorrow and you'll know the answer because, you know, they got to announce the roster soon. But some of the fringe guys are just kind of, at least position player wise, for the time being, are like the veteran guys you brought in on minor league deals or Daniel Descalso. I mean, you look at some of the prospects and you're like, okay. We hear a lot about Brennan Davis. You know, he still needs some time for seasoning, I think. Um, Miguel Amaya is not ready for the big leagues. The real big questions are which of some of the pitching prospects can make it in the bullpen? Edward Alzale, that's a big question. People are talking about Braylon Marquez a lot. There's a lot of promise there. Do you think there's going to be any surprises on this 30-man roster? I mean, if there's going to be one, it's going to be in the bullpen. And if it, I don't know if it'll be right away, though. It might be in a few weeks. Like, if you have a guy, say Jeremy Jeffress, really struggles or, or gets hurt or something, I think you're going to see more guys that you haven't heard of before this year than you would have in a normal season. I, I think, and that's not just something that applies to the Cubs. It's going to be the case everywhere because you're going to have players, inevitably, there's going to be a guy that gets – COVID-19 has to be out for a few weeks in quarantine. Like all that stuff's going to happen. So these young guys, you know, a Braylon Marquez or, you know, those types of, they're going to have to see some action at some point. So it'll be interesting. I'm really intrigued to see who the Cubs think is, you know, is, is ready to, to help the team compete. Yeah. I'm right there with you. All right. So let's do a little predictions. Let's do some predictions, a little prediction time. I'm going to ask who you think is going to lead in the following category or categories. We'll go one category at a time. So to start, who do we think is going to lead the team in home runs? What is your guess? Wilson Contreras. Contreras? I am all aboard this hype train. I'm kind of with you too, man. The dude, I gotta his, tell you. He is just, I mean, his pitch recognition right now is just otherworldly. I love it. And, you know, we always, I, I feel like Willie doesn't get his due. Like, we all talk about, you know, all winter, we're talking about guys, you know, that the Cubs might extend, but, but it, it always circled back to Brian. 
Baez or do you keep Rizzo simply because of, you know, what he does on and off the field and what he means to the franchise? No one talks about Contreras. And I think he knows that. And, you know, he's one of those guys. He's super competitive, super passionate, and he's ready to show. He's, he's one of the best players on this team and in the league. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you, man. With what we've seen so far, I can't disagree with you. So I'm going to go Willie as well. All right, who do we think is going to lead in batting average? I'll let you take this one first. Yeah, I'll let you take this one first. Yeah, you know, I was kind of racking my brain about this one because it's kind of up in the air. You know, batting average, especially in a small sample size, could kind of go anywhere. Um, So, you know, that being said, I think a safe bet would be Anthony Rizzo if his back is healthy. Um you know, Bias is going to be slugging away, but I don't think he's going to lead an average. I don't see Kyle Schwarber, Jason Hayward. Chris Bryant would probably be a candidate, but I feel like uh, Anthony Rizzo would be a safer bet. If this was last year and we had a guy like Ben Zobrist, I might say him, but we don't. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just going to go Anthony Rizzo now. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the safe, logical pick. Rizzo does what he does every year. Oh, man, I really want to go with somebody besides Rizzo now. I'm not going with Javi because he can get into those Javi tendencies where he chases. Right, right. Um, I'm going Chris Bryan. I think KB is going to have a big year. I think okay. he's going to really thrive in that leadoff spot where he's going to focus more on contact and getting on base, which he does regardless. I mean, the guy gets on base almost 40% of the time. But I could, I could definitely see KB, you know, maybe shortening up and going for, for a bit more contact, especially early in a ball game. Sure. Yeah. No, that was kind of my second pick. So, yeah, that's completely fair. All right. Who do we think is going to be the ERA leader in terms of starting pitchers? Again, I feel like this is a safe pick, so I'm going to go Kyle Hendricks. I feel like you, Darvish, yeah. can overall have a big year, but I think there's going to be that one really clunker start that kind of brushes him off that lead. Yeah, I I can't not pick Hendricks. It, you know, with not picking Rizzo for average, like at least there was a feasible alternative. Like KB is very capable of, of hitting for just as good, or if not better, of an average. But Kyle Hendricks has just been that dude for half a decade. Yeah. So, you know, it's just the consistency. I don't like betting against that. So I got to agree with you. Yeah, I hear you. Okay. Who is going to lead the team in runs batted in? That I'm going to go again with Wilson Contreras. I think where he bats in the lineup and where he's going to be set up, I feel like he's got a chance to be an RBI machine right there. Yeah. I, yeah, I got to go with Wilson because with Bryant as the leadoff hitter, he's not going to be that guy. I'm tempted to go Kyle Schwarber. I could definitely see that. Uh, no, if I'm picking him, to, yeah, no, I'm go- I got to go with Wilson. All right. Who is going to lead in ERA in the bullpen? I am going to confidently say, just because for some reason I'm really high on him, I'm going to go Jeremy Jeffress. I think he's going to rebound this year. I like that. That's a that's a good pick. Um, 
I'm. I think I am gonna end up going with Rowan Wick. I okay. really liked what he did last year, and I know that multiple you you have me on record multiple times saying I'm not ready to bet on him, but I think he's his stuff definitely plays at this level and he is more than capable of anchoring a bullpen it's just again like i said earlier i just i need to see it but with this mix i feel you know as good betting on him as anybody yeah i hear you man i'm right there with you i think he's my second pick for that rowan wick i'd say jeremy jeffress one rowan wick two um you know, you might have a guy like Kyle Ryan in there right up there, but I'm going to go with Jeremy Jeffress, but I hear you loud and clear on that front. Okay, so now who's going to lead the team in doubles? I'm going to go with Baez on doubles. I'm going with Bryant. I think he definitely has that power. We've seen that his whole career, um, and he runs like a gazelle. So I'm, yes, I'm going AB. I think we are going to see a lot of leadoff doubles. Oh, I'm be all here for that oh you have no idea there's you know we love chris bryant home runs but there's something really special about the way he lines the ball down the left field line and he just sprints right into second and then he can score easily like on a blooper or a single because he's that good of a base runner if we see a lot of those bryant doubles down the line to start off games and lead to runs oh boy would i be here for that oh man that's the stuff dreams are made of and that, that i i have no doubt that David Ross and Theo Epstein thought the same thing when they're like, you know, who should lead off? Like people don't understand for as big as he is, Bryant runs really well. Yes, he does. I mean, how many times have we seen him go first to third with ease? Or first to third, you know, second, you know, second. He just, he runs well. He runs really well. And a lot of people don't appreciate that part of his game. So just between his, his his pop and his power and, and and that running ability, I think he's a he's a good bet for the doubles. I'll never forget Game Seven when Rizzo lined a pitch into the corner, and Brian started running, and he was able to score from home, and that ended up being a crucial run in that game. Yeah, and it's one of those things that you know we all don't remember those little moments, but I mean, they're make or break. They decide a game. So, you know, uh, I'm really, I'm really excited for Brian as a leadoff hitter because to this day, I still miss Dex. I mean, it's been such a catastrophe since, oh, since he I left. Know. I know. I know. Uh, don't remind me. <laughs> okay. Who among starters is going to lead in strikeouts? To me, I think that's a pretty easy Darvish pick. Yeah, that's the that's the logical pick. Um, see, I like making these picks that don't make sense, just so you can have me on at the end of the year and tell me how dumb it was. Um, I'm going to go with Tyler Chatwood. Okay. I'm, maybe it's, it's really just a fool's hope. I'm just hoping and praying he puts it all together and just cements our rotation like we need him to. And if he... If, I mean, if he becomes a solid three, he's going to strike out a ton of guys. I mean, it's it's that simple. But, yeah, I mean, Darvish is probably going to do it, but I'll throw a dark horse in there just so we don't agree on everything, and I'll go with Chatwood. Okay, now, who is going to lead in strikeouts among batters? I'll let you take the first one. Uh, it's got to be Javi. <laughs> he strikes out quite a bit. 
But I'm going to go Kyle Schwarber. See, I, I like Kyle's plate recognition, plate coverage better. Um, I do too. I think he's but got a he good does eye. Swing and miss. He does. I, I mean, I could see it. I guess I'm just. Last year we saw him take that big step power wise. I'm hoping he he takes another step this year and is is a little more contact oriented. Maybe takes the Anthony Rizzo approach with two strikes and chokes up a couple inches. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you and hoping that as well. I just and I know his his recognition. You know he walks. Bias doesn't walk. Schwarber walks. But we do see him swing and miss quite a bit. Now, I think another candidate you could put in there is Ian Happ. You know, we've seen him miss the ball a bit. I think he, I just am not sure if he's going to be playing enough to qualify for that lead. He'll get, definitely get playing time, but I think you're going to see Schwarber and Baez, obviously, in the lineup more than Happ. Definitely. That that was why I didn't pick Ian Happ. Um, right. He's just, he's, he's a platoon guy, so had to be somebody I thought would be here pretty much every every day, so... It could go either way. I could see Baez or I could see Schwarber. Yeah. Okay. How about this? Who is going to lead in defensive runs saved? Oh, El Mago all day. Give that man a gold glove. It's long overdue. I'm going Jason Hayward, the gold glover in right field. He's going to throw out some guys. He's going to make some diving catches. Yeah. I mean... Can't I mean can't go wrong betting against a five-time Cole Glover. It's hard to. It really is hard to. And you know, with Anthony Rizzo's back issues, with the prospect of him playing some DH, it's also one of the reasons I wouldn't go with him, a platinum glove winner. I would love to see Javi get that first gold glove this year. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna go with Jason Hayward. Again, it's hard to go against him, like you said. Um all right, one more. Let's do one more individual stat prediction. Who is going to lead the team in on-base percentage? I am going to go with our leadoff man, Chris Bryant. He is going to get on base at a 4-10 clip this year. I was going to go Bryant as well. I think the fact that he's in the position he's in, the way he's able to draw a walk, recognize pitches, I think he's my bet as well for leader of on base. Good call. Yeah, I mean, obviously it could go Rizzo. It could go, you know, Rizzo gets on base a decent amount. Schwarber gets on base a decent amount. But I, I really think that Bryant, what, what's really going to piss me off, though, is if is there's going to be those traditionalists who evaluate Bryant based on his RBI total. Like oh, they have been. I know. And they won't take into account the fact that he's a leadoff hitter now. Right. Because they're going to look back to 2016 and be like, oh, look how many runs he drove in. And it's going to piss me off to no end. But I don't care about that. I care about him getting on base. I care about him setting the table for guys like Schwarber and Rizzo and Contreras and Baez. And, you know, I think he's going to do it really really well i mean remember in 2016 when he was mvp you remember who he had in front of him he had dexter fowler and anthony rizzo in front of him he always had runners on always i mean the guy never hit with with the bases empty and you know i feel like nobody did really that year um top to bottom everyone was on base all the time and it was amazing but 
you know, you can't look at that. The lineup's built differently. His role is different, and people need to understand that. Exactly. Exactly. But if you, if you, so I actually look back at his 2016 season, and, and everyone looks at, you know, with runners on what he did, but leading off an inning, he had 119 plate appearances and got on base at a 420 clip and he hit 330. So, like, he has always had the mentality that works for a leadoff hitter. Always. It's just he's never been one. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. That's all I got to say. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. All right, so now we're going to get into overall predictions. Let's talk about standings in the NL Central. I have my prediction. Do you have yours? Do you, do you have an idea? Uh, it, the only thing I'm sure of in this division is the Pirates are going to finish last. Yeah, I think everyone can agree with that. I think we can all start there. God, I want for three years now. I've said, "Oh, Milwaukee. This will be the third year. Milwaukee doesn't have the pitching, and then it doesn't matter. Doesn't but matter. They'll find a way. They'll, they'll find, find a, way. a way. They'll find a way to make it work, just like they always do. And you can't bet against what Christian Yelich does. I mean, the dude's no. unbelievable. Um. Oh God. I like you could just flip a coin. In terms of the four teams that are left, uh, it, it, it it hurts me to say it, but I could see, I could very easily see a scenario where the Cubs finish fourth. Yeah, I don't think you're the only one. Um, uh, right now, right now, I have him third personally. Yeah, uh, and again, it just comes down like, does Milwaukee have the have the pitching? Um, you know, all right, here's gonna go for it i think the reds oh god i've never struggled this much on, on it's such hard a simple question a season but like this it's, it's we don't hard know. it's 60 games the division is really it's projected to be really tight yeah you know what all right i'm gonna i'm just gonna go for it i'm gonna say cincinnati wins the division st louis in second in third, Cubs in fourth, Pirates in fifth. Right. I, I, I I love the Cubs lineup. The Cubs pitching staff scares me. Yeah, it um, scares me too. And again, but it's it's wild because all it would take is you know a Jack Flaherty going down or Christian Yelich getting hurt again or you know. Sonny Gray or Trevor Bauer getting, you know, there, there's so many variables that could impact a race that's going to be this close. But on, on paper, I feel better about a team like the Reds than I do with a team like the Cubs. I feel like they have fewer question marks, at least on paper. So this is kind of how I went. And this is kind of subject to change, obviously. But like, I have really conflicting thoughts on one team. I have the Cardinals winning the division. I don't think the Cardinals lineup is all that terrifying at all. Outside Paul Goldschmidt, I don't think that lineup's really anything special at all. But they got a great young electrifying pitching staff, and they always find a way to be competitive at least. So I'm going Cardinals one. Two, I'm going Brewers. They find a way to get the good pitching. Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Kane. I think their lineup's a bit more top-heavy, but when you have Christian Yelich in there, you know, that's that's a tough one to beat. And if Ryan Braun is 
playing better if he's healthy and he's playing better than, you know, he can still sock the ball out. They've just been able to turn it on at the right times the past few years. Third eye of the Cubs, I just have them right in the middle because that's might where they might be. I mean, they might be just right in the middle of the pack. There's goods and bads. There's strengths and weaknesses. There's holes and there's bigger holes, you know, with the pitching. Again, pitching scares me too. Now, I have the Reds in fourth, and I know a lot of people have them winning the division, and I I would not be surprised if they did. They added Nick Castellanos, who I'm still mad we got rid of. They have added Trevor Bauer. I mean, that was last year, but this will be his first full season. They added Mike Moustakis. You already have Joey Votto, Eugenio Suarez, Luis Castillo, who might be a candidate for Cy Young, Sonny Gray. On paper, I think, yeah, this team could do it. I just, but the Reds, they just have to prove it because we have played the watch out for the Reds game several years now, and it never materializes into anything. So, yeah, I have them low. Would I be surprised if they were much higher? Not at all. And then I got the Pirates at last. The Pirates outside Josh Bell are going to have no power hitters. They're going to have slappy, annoying, pesky hitters, but they're not going to have power hitters. And did they really do anything this year outside trade Starling Marte? Like, who do they even add? I mean, Anyone? really, their, their their ad isn't a short-term ad. It's a long-term ad when they went out and brought in. Uh, didn't they bring in Ben Charrington to, to run the run the show now? They might have. I, I haven't that. honestly paid much attention to the Pirates. Maybe, yeah, hang on. Maybe I made that up. I don't think I did. Nope, he's the general manager of the Pirates. Okay, so I think they will get better. Um, but, yeah, they're I don't rebuilding. Yeah, Brian Reynolds is a is a nice nice piece. I mean, they've got some people, but they don't have enough to to contend even in a short season. Right. I guess I just you know with Cincinnati, I look at their pitching rotation, and that's what separates them from the Cubs for me. Like yeah. the Cubs lineup can go toe to toe with any lineup in baseball, but if you know, I just I can't. You're talking about Luis Castillo. You've got Trevor Bauer, Sonny Gray, Wade Miley, like. That is a far more confidence-inducing group than than what we're working with right now. I would feel better if Quintana was healthy. I think I would feel better about the Cubs pitching, but and I I do want to go on like I want to make it clear. I don't think this is going to be like a top-heavy division. I think it's going to be really tight. I think the difference between first and fourth will be fewer than five games. Um, but I just. Hopefully I'm wrong. I would love to be wrong. I don't want to watch the Cubs finish fourth. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll see. I don't want to watch the Cubs finish fourth either. I feel like this season, this is as low a confidence I've had in them since prior to the contending years. Because even going to 2015, I had a lot of hopes for 2015. Did I think they were going to be 97 wins in the NLCS good? No, but I did have hopes that they would at least be competitive. Because at that point, look, after all those rebuilding years, if they would have had like an 84-win season, I would have been thrilled. But either way, I was still expecting something better. 2016, the expectation was a World Series. We got it. 2017, we expected to make a run to repeat. We made it back to the NLCS. 
2018 ended up being a big letdown and going to 2018 I thought yeah we're gonna make it back to the World Series I was very confident they were gonna make it back to the World Series and they did not and then last year I said you know I'm a little weary we didn't make a lot of moves but I still expect some big things despite the way that the last year ended they won 95 games that was without you Darvish and a large chunk without Chris Bryant and then after last year and not making a lot of big moves uh, in seeing a lot of the cracks in this team, yeah, I my expectations are not high. Am I saying that there's no way they can contend? No, there is a path they can, but I really am not betting on them going as far this year. I'm just I'm setting myself up not to have huge expectations this year. Yeah, exactly. I I, I like I said, you and I will happily have a show at the end of the year if the cubs win the division and are in the postseason i will happily come back and we will do a show at where we just eat crow for an hour i am all on board with that plan that is crow i'd love to eat absolutely i just i'm a very logic rational logical rational person i'm driven by what i know not what i hope and i have a lot of hope about this cubs team but i don't know a lot especially on the pitching side yeah, I feel you. A lot of the pitching makes me nervous because you look around the league and you even look just in the own division, in your own division, and you see guys everywhere who are throwing fire with all this crazy movement. And yeah, you got you Darvish. Yeah, you got Kyle Hendricks. But boy, you look at the Cardinals rotation and the Reds rotation, as you said, and you look at some of the bullpens with all these fireballers that throw this disgusting stuff. I just don't feel like the Cubs have enough of that. Yeah. I mean, I look at, you know, a team like Milwaukee who we both agree, you know, pitching seems a little suspect, but at the back end, they've got a healthy Corey Knable and you've got Josh Hader, which is a heck of a lot more than the Cubs have at the back end right now. And we might not like to say that or admit it, but it's a fact. Those two are, are probably, they're not even probably, those two are more, uh, they form a more dangerous duo than anything the Cubs have in the bullpen. I think they're the best duo in the division in terms of bullpen. Oh, definitely. There's nobody else that has that, that type of one-two punch, especially with Jordan Hicks not playing this year for St. Louis. Right. The St. Louis one have Jordan Hicks and Andrew Miller's not bad now, but he's definitely not the guy he was with the Indians those several years. Uh, and then, you know, th- there's a deep, you got a pretty solid bullpen in Cincinnati, but I don't think it's as good as that. No, no. I mean, I, I think that's a really formidable, and that, that's how Craig Council has managed, too. He knows his bullpen is his strength. He knows he's not going to get a rotation full of guys ready to go throw 130 pitches over eight innings. Like, he knows his best bet is to get the ball to Hader, get the ball to Knable, you know, in the past, get the ball to Jeffress and, and move forward from there. And that's terrifying in a short season because they don't have to worry about burning them out. Yeah. I mean, those guys are going to be ready to rock. So that, that formula could prove really successful. I mean, it's not hard to see a situation where the, where the brewers get hot and go on a run because of it. But yeah, I, I don't know. Normally I feel a lot when, when, when we talk, season predictions like what do we think is going to happen i normally have a pretty good idea um but (laughs) this year i mean it's a crapshoot yeah exactly and everyone's in the same boat i I don't think anyone can confidently say what's going to happen 
you know, there's debate. Are we going to see a 400 hitter or not? You know, we don't, we don't know. Maybe you'll see several, maybe you'll see none. One thing's for sure. You're not going to be comparing that to Ted Williams, but still, it'll be something to talk about. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, that is just about ready to wrap things up here on climbing the Ivy. Uh, Jake, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for being a last minute co-host. I know it was very last minute, but Thanks for coming on. Always a good talking to you. Always good having you on. And we'll have you on as the season goes along, I'm sure, as well as some other Cubbies crib writers. Strap it in, Cubs fans. Thank you for listening. Check out Cubbies crib at CubbiesCrib.com. Check out their Facebook page. Check out their Twitter page. And also, you can listen to the rest of this podcast on iTunes.com. Until next time, he's Jake. I'm Alex. Have a great night. Go Cubs. Happy opening day.